Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people, your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. This is Marin Costello Radio. Folks, we have such an impressive guest on the show today. Brianna Borton, a spiritual mentor, energy weaver, and wellness entrepreneur is on the show. Brianna learned early on that she was capable of creating her destiny. When she was 18, she broke her neck in a debilitating car accident, derailing her college career. Brianna unexpectedly discovered the power of positivity and the profound rehabilitative benefits that massage and energy work can have. She attended massage school and established a busy private practice in Portland. However, Brianna yearned to create an environment where clients could have a more comprehensive and transcendent healing experience. This came to fruition when, at age 23, she opened the Dragon Tree Holistic Day Spa. This first holistic day spa would lead Brianna to open two additional spa locations. Brianna began to develop a program to help people achieve their life's dreams. She also began speaking and writing in intensively and extensively on personal development and would later be inspired to formulate a product line that embodies Dragon Tree's principles and aesthetics. Featured in publications like Forbes and Goop, Brianna then began mentoring visionaries to create spiritual rootedness, become stewards of wealth, and lead transformational energy healing for groups and individuals. This domino effect would guide Brianna to then open a nonprofit to empower women to create lives designed by their inspiration. Brianna, you are such a force. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, we have so much to get into. But first I want to ask you, and this is how we love to start all of our shows off. What was little Brianna like? Oh my gosh. It's such a funny question because I have a little one. I have two kids, but one of them is now seven. And just this summer, my sister was hanging out with us and she looks over at my youngest and says, you were just like that. And I was like, I was just like that. She was like, yeah, if our parents hadn't tried to like make you a little bit smaller, (laughs) you would have been exactly that. I was really like very free spirited and um, loud And I know these things because I, that's what my child is like, free-spirited, loud, really friendly. Um, I also spent a lot of time, I thought I was an alien. So I'd spend a lot of time trying to rip off my face. So I was like, (laughs) it can't possibly be a, like, this feels so weird, this human body. Um, I love to dance. And I also really love to try to sneak sweet things because my parents never gave me any sweets. So I would like sneak like anise seeds from the cupboard, like the most sweet thing in our house. Right. So mischievous. And I also really loved my, I have three older siblings. And so I always wanted to hang out and play with all of them all the time. So that was kind of a little character. Mischievous or curious? I'm going to go with curious. Yeah. I think I was probably a little bit of both. I loved (laughs) you. I was always very curious. And I then I also, you know, like one time I cut my cousin's hair all off with his permission. Um, but it was always kind of like, I didn't really ever want to be in trouble, but I liked to find out exactly how close I could get. 
I remember when my um, little sister, we, I say little, she's younger, seven years younger, when my sister and our, my other younger cousin cut each other's hair while my grandma was watching them after school one day and my parents and my aunt and uncle were mortified. <laughs> it was so, I mean, tragic, but also so hilarious, especially in hindsight. Oh yeah. It was such the vibe. And then later, like fast forward, you know, like 30 years, my child did that with her friend, mm-hmm. the one that's just like me. I walked in and like one side of her hair was super short. The other one was really long. I'm like, what happened here? Nothing. I'm like, mm, I do actually remember what you looked like five minutes ago. It was so cute. So cute. What was your first experience with wellness? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, it kind of depends on how we define wellness, but my stepmom actually had such a big influence on my life and my mom, my dad, my stepmom got together and I was probably about 10. They got married when I was 12. When I was probably right in that age, 11, 12, my stepmom gave me the book, the Tao of Pooh. And that book was like the beginning of my spiritual curiosity where I was started to recognize, I mean, my parents had both left their religions, but the only thing I knew was that my dad's family was very Catholic and my mom's family was really Baptist. And my parents are both like, screw that. I'm not into it. And so they raised us just without religion, but not actually with a lot of spirituality either. And so it really was the first thing that kind of opened my eyes and I really think of spirituality as a very big cornerstone stone of our wellness. Mm-hmm. So I guess I would say that that was really the first experience I had of that. I love the way you say that, that spirituality is such a big cornerstone of wellness. I couldn't agree more. And I asked that question and, you know, I speak to self-care with a lot of our guests too, in a general sense, because everyone's relationship is with it is different. You know, some people it is face masks and pedicures, and I love that, but other people it is, you know, um, you know, Palo Santo and going to retreats and, you know, so many different modalities we could go on and on. Um, so really it's just your relationship with it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And within that, what was your first experience of doing the inner work? Mm. I mean, I would say that it developed over like in my teenhood, it really started. Like mm-hmm. I had a friend who had a mom who was a massage therapist and, you know, she gave me that, um, Marianne Williamson quote framed for one of our, she gave it to my friend and all of her friends, right. We were kind of like this little tight group of, um, friends and I still have it from her it framed on my wall. So if that was really where I was starting to understand a little bit more of the inner work and and self-reflectivity and doing that. And so there are a lot of seeds planted, I would say, throughout my high school career. And then at the end of high school, when I broke my neck, I feel like that was the biggest like inward turning event where it was just like, what is it that you actually want to do with this life of yours? Because I was planning on going to art school everything was really set up in this one direction and then everything changed so quickly. And I found myself really looking in to decide what I wanted and how I wanted to do my life. And I feel like, you know, how often like there are all these seeds planted and then one thing happens and I could say, Oh, it was that one thing. But I feel like, I don't know that I would have had the same reaction without all those other seeds being planted beforehand. 
Sure. I was in a pretty terrible car accident about a year and a half ago. And it's interesting because in working with my amazing therapist, um, who is also an intuitive, she's also one of my spiritual healers and teachers, um, taught me the beauty of proverbial crashes and also physical crashes and breaking and karma and what, you know, lies on the other side of something that is very traumatic um, when the work is done. So I would love to hear more about what that time frame was for you and what your healing process, mind, body, soul was from the moment of the car accident to when you, not that we're ever fully healed, but when you felt fully healed from that particular moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the car accident itself was so, I mean, uh, even looking back, it felt like so uh, almost like I was in a dream state. I, I was actually sleeping. I wasn't driving um, mm-hmm. or, or otherwise we would know why we crashed, but no, I was not driving, <laughs> um, but I was sleeping and then, you know, I woke up and I was in so much pain and I really, it's interesting. I don't think I've actually ever thought about this until this moment that you ask. Cause I usually am talking about a little bit further out, even like a week out, but in that moment I hurt so much and no one believed me like that. It was like a big deal. My, my friend who was driving, I was like, just stretch your neck. And I was like, I am not moving. I know I shouldn't move. And then the police came and they were like very unhelpful. And even the paramedics that came were kind of like, meh, like you're fine. You're just making a big deal out of it. The, the firemen were actually the, like most like, Oh, you seem like there's actually something wrong. And they just kept being like, just open the door and come out. And I was like, I'm not moving. I'm like, this hurts so bad. I know something's wrong. And even though no one else believed me, I was so firm and they had to like pull me out of the back window of the car and get me on a stretcher because I was like, I'm not doing this any other way because I feel like something's actually very wrong. And even when we got to the hospital, there was a lot of kind of, you know, like they didn't really take me seriously. And I remember even as they put me onto the MRI machine, the guy kind of like lifted me and kind of like threw me onto the MRI machine. And then they did it. And after they did that, they found out my neck was severely broken. And then like four people took me off of that. It's like, they're like, oh no, we could really hurt you. Right. And I think that that place, that moment was really where I feel like there's a beginning of meeting like, no, I know me and Mm -hmm. I know it's needed for me. And I'm going to trust myself more than I trust everyone else, especially for me, like not trusting all these authority figures, right. The police and the paramedics and like, to be like, no, I, I know better than you do. And that was really big for me. I think to, in that moment, own that for myself. And then, you know, and then the doctors on the phone with my mom, my parents, I got in a car accident. It was in Spokane. My mom lived in Utah. My dad lived in Montana and they both got there by the morning. And, but I heard the doctor talking to my mom in the room that I was in being like, okay, so we have a, a surgeon who can come in and just do the surgery right away. And I heard my mom through the phone yelling, like, if you touch my daughter before I get there, I will sue you so quickly. Like you're not doing anything until I'm there. And there was this feeling of like, we don't just have to do whatever we're told and that we don't actually so much of the time the authority is just doing what is most convenient for 
the people, you know, for people's schedules and all sorts of things rather than what's actually best for the person in front of them. And so there, all of these little things, I feel like started to get imprinted into me. And then as I, you know, lay in my like flat waiting for something to happen, um, they said, you know, we're going to put you in, we're going to come in and we're just going to, uh, put a screw in between the two parts of your vertebrae. And my mom was like, I don't think so. I want a second opinion. <laughs> they were like, um, we don't give second opinions at this hospital. She said, oh, great. I would love to talk to the board of the hospital to see how they came to that conclusion. And they're like, okay, we'll give you a second opinion. You know, she's just like, no bullshit. We are definitely going to get a second opinion. And I think just feeling like understanding how much we can advocate for ourselves Mm -hmm. and that we get to choose what happens to our bodies. And during that process, I felt so loved and cared for too, just like my parents showed up right away. And, you know, I hadn't lived with my mom for all of high school. I lived with my dad and just that she was there in like a second. I felt so loved and I really understood how scary it was for my parents. And I think that understanding how much they loved me made it just like shifted. I mean, it's not like they that weren't loving parents, but it was a different feeling in me. And so as I then started to, I was put in a brace. Um, I went to go live with my mom cause she, she was a hospice nurse. So she had like all the gear to take care of me. So they released me in her care. And that was really where I started to reflect on, well, I will get better from this. And then what do I want to do? Do I want to go back to art school? Do I want to like, do I want to be with this boyfriend of mine? Like all the things, right? Is this, is this working out? It's kind of like, let's put all the chips on the table. Is this the situation you want? And I really recognized that I, you know, wanted to, um, I really wanted to go to Europe. That was what I was I was like, that's just the thing I want to do. I know this for sure. And so I went and then lived with my dad. And that was when I was just, in, I was still in so much pain. I could barely do anything. And that's when my stepmom made me a, an appointment with this massage therapist nurse. She's like, oh yeah, she'll be able to help you with your pain and know what she can do and not do. Turns out she actually couldn't barely touch me because I was just in so much pain. And so instead she did energy work for me and Mm -hmm. she did, we had three sessions. And by the end of those three sessions, I was entirely without pain. Really? Yeah. Wow. What time specifically was it Reiki? I mean, I think she probably would have described it as Reiki, but now looking back, I would describe it more like Reiki with what I guess I would call like maybe like Qigong healing, even if that's not the kind of terminology she would have used. Um, but now that I know a lot about energy healing, I'm like, you were not just doing Reiki. I know, but that's what she called it, but it was along those lines. And so I was able then to get a job. I mean, it still isn't my neck brace. I had to like walk in the snow at 4am in the morning to my coffee shop job. It was kind of miserable, but people felt bad for me. They tipped me a lot as I'm like making their coffee in this (laughs) gigantic brace. It was kind of a hilarious sight, honestly. And so after that experience with her, I recognized how much that's what I wanted to do with my life. I was so committed to being supportive of other people in that way, but I was more committed to going to Europe. So first I went to Europe and I like went and messed around. And, um, I would say during that, that trip, that's really where I felt like the, and 
I guess like end or like the completion of my healing really felt like it happened. I was running a hostel. I kind of like a lot of things happened, but I ended up running a hostel in the Czech Republic with this cute boy. I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. I'll just like be here. And I met so many people from all over the world. And it was a really special hostel. And so many of the people that came to stay at the hostel were healers and they had so many different modalities from all over the world. And I was a little sponge. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Um, and that really set me on the path. And I feel like I also received a lot more healing during that time, not just of the physical part, which felt like a lot of that had already healed, but of the emotional trauma of feeling like my world just changed so suddenly and I was no longer going to pursue art in that way and that I was instead going to pursue healing and there was grief to that and I feel like a lot of my healing like the completion of my healing happened during that time the word or the phrase that comes to mind is radical acceptance Mm, yeah just of you know there's our plan and then there's God's plan. <laughs> you know, we make plans and then he laughs. Um, wow. What a transition. So what was your path then into massage therapy? Yeah. So after living in the Czech Republic, that boyfriend and I moved back to the United States and eventually we moved to Portland and I, um, I was actually working at a head shop selling bongs. I didn't even like smoke pot. I don't even know how anyone bought anything for me. Cause I was like, I don't know, but it's pretty. Um, <laughs> and I was working with this girlfriend of mine and I said, I think I'm going to go to school for massage. She's like, okay. So I just looked up massage and I started school two days later, I think. Wow. Um, so I got myself into massage school. I actually ended up really loving deep tissue massage and energy work and um, zero balancing was something that totally changed my life. It was where I recognized how much I understand energy. Um, so I went into that field and then became a massage therapist and worked on my own. And then I went back to school. I also got a job at a spa. I went back to school for Ayurvedic medicine. And, um, and then before I even finished school, I got fired from that job at the spa. Crazy. It was the last job I ever had. Um, and the woman just said, if you feel like you can do it better, you should do it yourself. Okay, I do. I do think I could do it better. So um, I started our spa. I was like 22, like building it out, Open, wow. opened our spa like a couple of weeks after my 23rd birthday. And yeah, and then everything just kind of built from there. I did a lot of, I've done a lot of training and energy work, but then I've also received just a lot of what I would call like direct revelation around energy work, mostly through doing breath work. And, uh, yeah. And it's all kind of built from there. That's amazing. How did you amass the resources to open a spa? Because I think nowadays, you know, we do have so many ways to reach people online and there's a benefit of, you know, not needing as many resources, um, or bodies in the door as having a brick and mortar space. So what did that look like for you at such a young age? Yeah. It's so interesting because I think of all the people that start businesses now with such a low threshold. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's benefits to that. And I also think that there's some huge challenges to that. And, um, one of them is that there's not as much skin in the game 
when I was, you know, 23, I had, I wrote this beautiful business plan. Cause I figured that's like what you do. I wrote this beautiful business plan and I took it to the SBA. I took it to all these banks and they all said, this is so beautiful. This is great. This is a great business plan. And absolutely. Like, do you have collateral? It's like, I have this car. It's worth like a thousand dollars. You're like, mm, that's not how this works. Chicken. No. Like, absolutely. No one is giving you money. Um, and so I actually started my business with a business partner and we borrowed money from some of her, like from her husband and her husband's mom, her, yeah, her husband's mom. We borrowed a little money from both of them. And then my husband now, who is my boyfriend then, um, had a credit card that had like a $10,000 limit on it. And so when I say that we started the spa on a shoe budget, I cannot emphasize enough. Like I built every, like we do footballs, every cart I built with my friends. Like I painted every wall. I, you know, it was a huge, it is, it still exists. It is a huge space. And maybe 50% of it, we closed the doors and couldn't afford to build out. So we just said, wow. you know, we, oh, people are in session in that room. <laughs> AKA that room is not finished and who knows when it will be finished. <laughs> so we just opened what we could as we could. And so really built so organically based on that, that it was, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. It was so much work and I didn't, we didn't have any money to pay anyone. So as working the front desk, doing massage, cleaning the toilet, doing the foot baths, like everything all day long, every single day. And then I wasn't making any money. So I would be belly dancing, um, which is how I made money. So I would make enough money belly dancing to pay my rent and then work all the time to try to create this business. And it really changed me. And this is why I think sometimes the threshold of entry isn't always the best mm -hmm. because I know every facet of my business inside and out because I've actually had to do every single job. How long were you working like that until you turned a profit? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, it got better. I would say probably around month nine. It was I, it's when I actually started with friends to start working the front desk or cleaning footballs or, you know, it's like, I will massage you. I will do whatever you need, but please just work us. Of course they were not very good at it, but you know, we all <laughs> did our best. Um, and then a year is when I bought my business partners, half of the business. And we were really not getting along even by the time we opened, honestly. So once I was able to buy her half of the business, that's when the energy really changed because we didn't really see eye to eye around growth and around what we wanted to do. She wanted to take the money out of the business and I was willing to, you know, belly dance on the side so that we could just keep investing the money back into the business so it would grow. And so once she was out of the picture, I was really able to focus and start growing the business. And I would say then after probably 18 months, a lot had changed. I had a spa director, like things I could hire people, which was my greatest dream. I still was making almost no money, but I didn't care as long as I didn't have to do everything. I mean, I think that's the reality when you're starting a business, you know, from scratch as you have done over and over. And speaking of growth, how did you know it was time to up level or to lean into the next 
cha- um, not chapter of the business because all your businesses are still functioning, but you know, start another business, open a new facet to what you were doing. What it, what was that sign? I, what like what signs did you look for? At what point were? I mean, I have so many follow up questions. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many questions here. Um, Dear Brianna, please explain yourself. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's all been so organic. You know, people often ask me like, was this the vision? Like, no, my vision was that I wasn't going to have to like eat the cranberries out of the cranberry orange tea for lunch because I didn't have any money. Right. It's like, talk about like, they're like, you're a visionary. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I can claim that. But I, the first thing that happened actually was that I, at like 27, I was like, I just need a baby. I like, cannot handle this any longer. So, um, my husband and I, I got, well, I got pregnant, but he did the helping. And then, um, once I was pregnant, I realized I cannot bring a baby to the spa. Like that's like not relaxing for anyone. And at the same time, our neighbor in our building was moving, decided to retire. So she had this little antique shop next door. She decided to retire. And I, I knew for sure I didn't want to be away from my kids as they were growing up, but I also knew I didn't want to be away from my business either. So thought, you know what we should do? We should open a cafe where the antique shop is and then make an office in the back that I can have the baby. And my husband somehow thought that was a great idea. I don't know how I convince him of things all the time, but he was like, okay, why not? So we rented that space. We turned it into a cafe. We opened the cafe two weeks before the baby was born. And then we had a cafe and the baby could come with us. And that was the next evolution. It's need based us. Like, I need a place to have the baby. We'll open a cafe. And then the Portland airport reached out to us actually and said, I, we would like you to submit a proposal to having a spot in the Portland airport, which my wow. naive Brianna was like, thought that they were like proposing, but they were not. They were like, no, I propose that you do a huge amount of work to see if we will let you. I was like, oh, I see. Um, but in that process, we, to get a funding for it and everything else, they said, you know, we really want you focused if we're going to fund for you only on the spas. And so we sold the cafe and focused only on the spas and we opened the spa in the Portland airport. And then once we were in the Portland airport, we were still making all of the things we do. We make all the things that we use in our treatments and people then at the airport said, you know, we want to be able to take this with us. And so that was, we were like, okay, well, we'll make it so that you can take it with you. So that's, we started a whole manufacturing company of our products and, and, you know, all the labeling and everything else. And, and then during that, around that time, I really injured my ankle and my husband put a poultice of herbs on my ankle. I mean, it was like swollen like this. I could not walk, put a poultice on it within three hours. The swelling was gone. And I walked in heels the next day. Wow. And I was like, what was that you put on my ankle? And he said, oh, just some herbs. It's like, no, 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 back it up. Everyone needs this. And so because of that, we started this external pain relief product company, part of our company. And so it's just, everything has naturally happened, but we also, I just say yes a lot to the universe, I think is really the truth. 
And then my husband wanted to Boulder. Great. I'll move. Not opening a spa there. Famous last words. What's that? (laughs) It said famous last words. I know. Right. (laughs) But I did say when we were visiting one time, I said, if I ever were to open a spa, I'd want it to be right here. There was this cute little coffee shop. There was this place next door. It was occupied. I said, this would be the place I'd want to open a spa. We, I never looked again. We moved here. I went out to lunch at that coffee shop with my friend and I looked over and it was for rent. I am going to open a spa. Dang it. Okay. So, you know, one thing led to another and we opened the spa and then, you know, we, I just say we opened the spa. Like it was, if it was like easy, it was not easy. It was really hard, but we did it. And so we had the products, we had our three spas and we were, really working to help Peter reach his goals. So we would have what I called Peter boot camp every Monday. And we would meet at this little coffee shop. And then we started running into friends and they'd say, what are you doing? And I would explain, like, I'm helping him break down his goals into things to actually do. And they said, oh, can I come? And I said, no, you cannot come. I can only do this for one person. And he is married to me. So after that, <laughs> I really realized that I wanted, we, getting your goals as part of whole life wellness, right? Like this is actually so important and actually something that most people struggle with. And so that's when we created the dream book and planner. Um, so that it really worked people through the process that we were using in order to be able to actually realize their dreams in this lifetime. From there, it's kind of like, people were like, well, we want to know more things. And so it was just like programs and books and things just all started to come mostly because people asked for them. And, and now here we are like, okay. And it has all been built. Oh my gosh. So how many streams of revenue do you have total? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, let me count. (laughs) So we have our apothecary, um, line and then our lifestyle, like books and uh, courses. And then we have our two spas. One of our spas actually closed during the pandemic, the one that was at the airport, because it was unfeasible because people were not flying. Um, so we closed one of those. We have the two spas, the apothecary, our lifestyle, and then I have my own company um, where I do, you know, I lead masterminds and mentor people and do energy work and spiritual mentorship. So I have that stream. And then we also have um, real estate. So we bought the building that the dragon tree is in, in Portland, and we have other real estate. So however many that is six, that's six seems about right. I wasn't counting. I was just enamored with all the different facets. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. So with all of those businesses, what does your daily routine look like? How do you organize your day? Day is plural. Yeah. I mean, I actually use our dream book and planner quite a bit in order to organize myself. Um, But, you know, I have really a great team. So it sounds like I'm doing a lot, but, you know, I have a COO who runs the dragon tree, all aspects of it really. And so I just get to be creative and visionary in that business now pretty much. And then I, you know, will have groups or one-on-one clients. I boxer mentor people. Um, and then I'm with my kids a lot of the time. So my days are always different, um, but they're pretty well balanced at this point, actually. What were the steps between asking your friends to work for trade at the first spa to then hiring the OO? 
like oh my gosh. how many different people did you hire in between and what did that you know management of people within the different businesses look like oh my gosh it's so much it's so many people <laughs> so many people um but i would just even say you know we have there are so many people it takes to run a business this size, but even at the beginning, like when I first was able to hire a spa director, the spa director's job has even changed a lot since the very beginning where the spa director was actually the receptionist as well. And the manager of people. And I hired people because I thought they were fun, which was a horrible reason to hire somebody who's supposed to manage people. But you know, I was young and so were they, and we had a lot of fun. We live and learn. (laughs) Yeah. We made a lot of mistakes. Um, but I was able to see that all of the, you know, from those people kind of like upgraded the spa director every time. And so I just upgraded and upgraded and upgraded. And then I had, you know, the airport spa and the downtown spa. And so I had to have spa directors for both of them. So I was still the one managing them, managing the spa directors who were then managing the spas. And then we had somebody who was managing the apothecary, but I was still managing them. So at one point it was me managing all of the managers. And then one of the managers, I told you, I kept upgrading the people. Um, One of the managers came to me and said, I love working with you. I don't love being a spa director because it's such a pain in the ass. I was like, yeah, that's a real, that's a real thing. And he just said, I will keep my salary. If you can put me in charge of the, if you put me in charge of all the spa directors, you don't have to pay me more. And he said, you know, you could do this over a year. And I said, actually, I want you to do that now and I'll pay you the same. And then as soon as I can, I'll, I'll increase your pay, which by the way, is like my new standard for people because Mm. so many people are like, pay me more and I'll work more. And I know that that that's never happened in my whole life that that's been the case. People work about as hard as they work and regardless of how much you pay them. And that was the first person that ever came to me and just said, let me make myself so valuable to you that you will want to pay me more, but I just will just do it. And I, there's a certain kind of person that's like that. And I love them so much. Um, and so I moved him into my role. I was basically the COO then. And I turned over that role to him and he's still our COO. It's been 12 years. Um, he's amazing. I love him so much. And it really changed then everything for me and freed me up to do a lot of other more, you know, creative things, which made it so that I could write those books and create the programs and all the other things. That's amazing. How can we use money as a tool for creating like the universe that we want to live in our own respective universes? Yeah. And I think that money is one of the most powerful tools. It's not the only tool, which I think we get a little mistaken about like, Oh, money's the only thing. And I feel like, no, no, no. There's actually a lot of really amazing tools to creating our lives and money just happens to be a big one. It's a like, I, I think of it as like, you just got handed a big giant, like sword to yield, to wield. Right. And some people don't want to. And I think that we have judgment about that. And I don't think we should, I think why not everybody needs to wield a big sword, but if you're going to wield the big sword, you should know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we need to be really responsible in the way that we use money as a tool because it does have such a big impact. 
because it does actually help. So it can help in so many areas. It provides resources to, you know, for me, it provides resources to my land. It provides resources to my family. It provides resources to like, you know, hundreds of nonprofits that I donate to, like it really makes a huge difference. And so I know that I want my money to be something that I steward into the world, that it's not something I just gain. Like it's not just mine. I don't, I don't want to accumulate just endlessly. That doesn't make any sense to me. I want it to come from places that I align with. You know, I make money in ways that are absolutely my heart work. I love every way in which I make money. It all feels hundred percent good. Even the investments I make, I make sure that they align with my heart. I know every company that we invest in and I trust in what, how they're doing the work that they do. And that money comes in and then money goes out toward the things that create the world I want to see, you know, for my life, for my kids' lives, for my community's lives, for the world, right? So if I want to create a world where, you know, forestation isn't an issue that like we are all breathing clean air and trees are honored, then I'm not going to be buying things that, or investing in companies with my money that deforest our, you know, our world. And instead I look towards places that do like, oh, you're conscious, you're paying attention. And that to me is like, now money makes sense. We are in right relationship together. I understand you and you understand me. And I love one of the things that my mentor says, which is I'm going to give money a good name. Like Mm. so many people give money a bad name and money wants to be with me because I give money a good name. And that that is something that I've really taken to heart. That's amazing. Um, Well, little brand plug, speaking of reforestation, we actually recently, a couple of weeks ago, just changed our model, not changed, but improved our model because we are a sustainable brand. But now with every single piece of jewelry that's purchased from the jewelry brand, we plant a tree. Not every purchase, not every purchase, every single piece of jewelry. So by some, you know, an order, if you have an order with five pieces, then five trees are planted. See it. Then I'm like, sign me up. Show me where I can buy jewelry. Right. And this is what I I feel like everyone could be doing this to pay attention, right? Like notice what the brands that you're investing in, what do they do? Do they plant trees? Do they care? Are they buying sustainable things? Are they hiring people and paying them money that is a livable wage, right? These things are so important. Mm -hmm. So true. I think you talked a lot about a money and about wealth. And I think another measure of wealth is relationships. And it made me think about your relationship with your employee that moved from, um, you know, spa manager to spa director, multiple spas. How do we develop and maintain and love on those relationships through our work? Yeah. I am somebody who believes in closeness. So I, you know, especially it's funny that we were talking about that employee in particular, because he came from a very corporate background. He was working for Walmart where everything's very like, do, do, do I am, this is my position. That is your position. And, and there's not a lot of that. And I have worn him down. <laughs> I've just been like, no, 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 that's not how I do relationship at all with anyone. I want to, if you're in my world, I want you to be really cared for. And so it doesn't, it means that not all of my employees get to be that close in my world because 
I cannot care for all of them. There's, you know, we have like 108 employees and I can't actually create close relationships with all of them, but I can create close relationships with the people that are, that I get to be with and encourage them to, and them to. And so everyone gets cared for, even if it's not by me. And I think that one of the ways in which we find ourselves not doing that is that we feel like, well, I can't do that with everyone. So I'm not going to do it with anyone rather than saying like, I can model this for you. And then you will model that for them. And then they will model that for them. And we can all actually create a relationship where we're feeling seen and valued and actually cared for on a personal level, not just on a like performance level. Kind of riffing on that. How would you suggest one leads, you know, a team, a company, a group of people in such a way that creates impact? Yeah. Well, I think first knowing what it is that you want to do, right? Like having a, such a clear vision for the world you want to create. So, you know, how I was saying, like, I didn't have a vision for creating a business like this, but I always knew the world I was trying to create. And Mm. so because I am so committed to creating a more peaceful world and that I know I can make an impact, I feel like everything I talk about and do gets the right people on page, right? They Mm -hmm. want to come do that with us, but then they also get to add to it. So I think that sometimes, especially if we're very visionary in our lives, we can get very into ourselves about like being in charge or something. And I think that some of the best ideas we've ever had have come from our employees you know, I would say more than 60% of the amazing things that we've created have been from employee suggestions, from their ideas, from where they wanted to see things go. And so I just really value that. And, you know, it doesn't mean that every idea is a good idea. Not all my ideas are good ideas. So it doesn't have to be like, oh, I'll just do whatever you say, but to invite feedback, to really hear and to listen and to be willing to have it be a collaborative effort toward the vision. Taking notes because I, you know, there's always room for improvement and as much as, you know, I think I'm a good leader and as much as my team is so amazing, like there's always learning to be had and learning to be done. And I'm even reflecting on like forevermore, how can we continue to get better? How can we continue to improve and just be better humans and better leaders and better employees, all the above? Yeah. And to have company values, you know, that we look for when we hire people and that we use again and again, right? It's like, well, one of our values is this. And so how are we doing this or not doing this? How am I doing this or not doing this? How, you know, if there's any redirection that needs to be happen, happening with somebody that you we use our company values to do that redirection so that everyone knows that this is, this is the road we're on. This is what it looks like. And if you, if you don't align with that, that's also okay. You know, you don't, you don't have to be here and that we really want people to choose. Like if you want to be here, really want to be. Totally. How long did it take for you to hit those benchmarks of reaching a million dollars in revenue and then reaching multi-million dollars in revenue? 
You know, I wish I knew, actually, I feel like this is a question people ask me a lot. I should just actually look it up and make myself a note. So I remember over time, um, more so like, what was the season of life that you were in? Like how many companies did you have? How many employees did you have? What did your world, you know, in, in, in leaning into creating one's world before creating one's business or businesses, like what did your ecosystem look like? Yeah. I mean, I would say probably it was around the time that we opened the, our second spa. Mm -hmm. So funny. I really remember the first day we made a thousand dollars more than the first year we made a million dollars. Um, cause I was just astounded that I would ever make a thousand dollars in a day. I called my dad and I said, we had our first thousand dollar day. And he was like, oh my gosh, that's so great. And I just remember feeling like there, I could never feel more successful than that moment. And it's actually like, that feeling has been the same at each benchmark. It's like, I cannot believe this. This is so amazing. I'm just so grateful. And so I do think it was around when we had both spas. And so we had been in business for about five years, I'm guessing around five years when we hit our first million dollars in a year. And then it like kind of went quickly from there. I'm curious as to your personal schedule um, on a day, daily, weekly, you know, weekends versus weekdays spectrum. What does that look like? And similarly, how does your wellness practice and spiritual practice fit into that daily, daily schedule? Yeah. So every day I wake up and I meditate for an hour. That is like, wow, that's amazing. Every day, day. Um, so whether it's a weekend or a weekday, that's always the same. And then weekdays, you know, and get up and I take my kids to school, you know, one of my kids is in high school now, so I have to wake up so early, um, but we get them to their schools. And then, you know, my day is really varied in what I'm doing. I lead a lot of groups and at this point I have quite a few one-on-one clients. So I'm doing energy work. And then, you know, on Tuesdays, I have a lot of meetings with my staff and then Wednesdays, I do a lot of creation time. So I kind of try to mock days and it's not always perfect because sometimes it's a day that is not a day, you know, I have to have a meeting on this day because it's when we can. Um, but I do try to kind of segment my days through the week. So I have client days, creation days, and then meeting days and then flex days. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to finish work by the time my kids are done with school um, so that we can hang out. It doesn't always work. I would say maybe like 50% of the time. I wish it was more, um, yeah. but about 50% of the time I finish work when they're done with school so that we can play, hang out, bake cookies or whatever. Um, and then the other 50% of the time they're like hanging out with their dad and I'm still working, but, um, and then weekends I don't really work. So that's usually a time where we're doing family stuff or, you know, projects. My husband and I are very project oriented human beings. So I can imagine after building a multifaceted, you know, empire, (laughs) you kind of have to be project oriented. Yeah. We love making things. So we make a lot of art together. We build a lot of things together. We have, you know, we have three acres of land that needs tending a lot. So we're gardening and we have alpacas and chickens and dogs and cats and just all the things. So we're just 
very busy doing you all had, those kinds of things. You had me at alpacas. <laughs> How many alpacas do you have? We have two and they're half sisters and they're so cute. Their names are Sita and Jane. Come just- on. Of course their names are Sita and Jane. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Are they going to, are you going to continue the family? Get a boy alpaca? No, no boy no. alpacas for us. I think that we are not in the like um rearing of farm animals stage yet. And who knows if we ever <laughs> will be. Um, but we have we think a lot about getting a third girl though, just because they're such pack animals. Mm-hmm. These two, the sisters, they cannot be, you know, 20 feet away from each other or they cry. They want to be Come with each other on. all the time. They're so cute. So they're always like doing their little things. It's the cutest thing in the world. Oh my gosh. If ever I'm in your area, I might ask to come over and see your alpacas because I am legit obsessed. Do it's so fun. And they're really nice alpacas. Not all, not all alpacas are super friendly. Um, but these like any species, right? Humans included, Humans included. (laughs) Um, but they're very sweet girls. So definitely come by. That's amazing. Well, I have a couple final questions for you. Where can we find you? How can we work with you and how can we support you? Oh, well, if you want to find me and just kind of follow along in my life, I love connecting with people on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook too, but I honestly don't love being on Facebook as much. So um, at Brianna Borton on Instagram, and I love it when people follow me, if you message me too, because I just want to know who you are. I am all about relationships, like actual real relationships. So message me and just say, Hey, I just started following you. And I will like respond. I just am so into actual human beings. So um, you can find me there. If you want to work with me, I have so many options. You know, I run programs all the time. I also have a Love Rising Collective where I do group energy work and we do embodied alchemy work. And it's really beautiful. And it's an easy kind of entry point to work with me. And then if anyone is actually wanting to build their businesses um, in a really soulful way, I love helping people do both like the spiritual rooting and also become stewards of wealth. So I feel like I have a lot of amazing energetic codes for people around money. And so if people are wanting to do that, I work with people one-on-one and then every year I do a mastermind. Um, So my next mastermind will be in 2023. Um, But if anyone's wanting to do that, I would love to do that. Um, I love working one-on-one with people. It's so much fun. And then as far as how you can support me, I just feel like, you know, just being in my world and connecting and, you know, continuing to have a relationship together. That to me is the most supportive thing that we can do. You are pure heaven, such a force and so inspirational all wrapped into one. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This conversation has been so delightful. Oh my gosh. A complete joy. Thank you. Thank you. Well, folks, that interview was just unbelievable. A huge thank you to Brianna for coming on the show. Another thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you like this episode, you can do it again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations that you love just like Brianna. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at MarinCostello.com and MarinCostello Radio on Instagram. Have a beautiful day. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. And we will see you next week with another incredible guest. Mm-hmm.